Hello, my name is Jack Oway. And I'm Jay Oway. And we welcome you back to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. We're a D&D podcast. Every week we talk about the world's greatest role-playing game, sometimes 5th edition, uh, mostly 5th edition, but sometimes we try to bring in some elements of older generations. I'm, I'm old. He's he's the old, old dragon. When are you nearly reaching ancient status? Or? Yeah, American not my day. Mm-hmm. D&D used to have... Th- tables to calculate whether you hit armor class zero (laughs) regardless of of the edition you're playing though you may have at some point felt that the combat the tactical turn-based combat of D&D wasn't exciting enough it got a little repetitive or a little boring or a little stale at some point and round one is like oh my god this is so and then round when he says the DM says or she says roll for initiative and you're like, yes, it's on. Oh, I'm so excited. And then, like, yeah. it's 15 minutes before it's your turn. Yeah. Or round one, everyone's excited. Everyone's assessing the situation. And then round four, everyone's like, eh, we're still, are we still, still fighting? Or, what's going we're, on? we're exactly 24 seconds into this combat, and we're We've all, like, bored. Playing for how three hours? Um, and mm. I suppose... If this is happening at your table, and I'd be surprised if in some degree it doesn't, um, you, especially if you're the DM or, and players, everybody's got a role in this, have, have an opportunity to sort of ask, okay, well, what's, what's slowing us down? What's Mm. not working so well? Um, Where, where do we spend a lot of unnecessary time? Um, And if we could save some time by changing a few things would it make the experience better and the answer is not always yes maybe not or would it create an opportunity for us to add something else into the combat oh for sure you know can we trade off one boring thing for one exciting thing and, and, and that new thing might get boring after time and then you go back to the first thing right I the idea it. is varying things up a little bit and one way that i do this rules is written and that i argue before you make any homebrew changes is to try a chase fight sometime um it's something that I, I was almost not trying to touch because I didn't know how to run mm. a chase fight. Yep. And it feels completely different and almost counterintuitive to like all melee classes. I or whatever. I've been teaching but, people to do ch- how, like the yeah. players how to do chases. And they're, I think they're fun. And it mixes right. things up. I mean, you can, you know, two rounds regular hack and slash combat. Suddenly, boom, the big, big villain, you know is heading out and now the players are like oh we want to chase them we want to chase them. you to go off the grid tactical map yep. and you move into theater of the mind. A, a mix of theater of the mind and you know some distance related spells and attacks and whatever yep. right i typically as a dm not that we plan to talk about chase today but since we're on the topic uh mm. even if you're looking for tips out there as a dm i keep like a little secret map grid that I keep track of the order that the players and things are in behind the bad guy, mm. knowing where faster players are moving up a bit more quickly, slower ones are falling back a bit more. If people are spending their action doing something other than dashing, they drop back quite a ways. Different things like this will happen. And also that allows me to sort of also guess whether they're still in range, whether the bad guys have gone around corners, whether they can still catch up, how I can then, because it's my job to describe these things. We're doing theater of the mind. I've got to sort of depict the whole thing. And I do up really cool chase tables that are unique for each one of the encounters um you can just use the standard ones in the dm's guide if you want but i think making your own custom tables that and what i would do is at the um end of each person's turn they roll for what the next person has to encounter as well during the chase and Mm -hmm. that adds a lot of dynamism especially if you're doing city chases but we've done really ones across countrysides that are similar as well and you sort of have the idea that it's more than six seconds per turn then that things are a bit longer that they're running through spaces and yeah i think there can be a lot of fun with that and you're you're right this is just this is just a way to to change up uh a combat so it you've got variety and to start that's a great way to place to start Mm. if you're trying to say well our combat's getting a little same samey variety yeah, well, mixing it up is this a good is just to say start. that it's, it's being a little dynamic right and this could, doesn't have to be changing entirely the mode about which things are going right it could be a complete change in the environment you could you know set off some trap by accident like a monster does or something happens on initiative you know 15 that suddenly teleports players and changes the tactical stuff no it can get annoying if it happens like once is like a fun novelty second time is you know we, we know how to avoid it third time is like all right enough right um, this is getting now frustrating, right? Especially for melee characters that need to get right up next to someone and then they get teleported across the map. Not always the most fun option, but the idea of 
knowing how to be a little dynamic and just because it's not fun immediately doesn't mean it like challenge and obstacles are always things that can be overcome creatively um and i think that failure or not being able to do a million damage every turn is not the end of the world for a player um but i think it's just being a little bit considerate of what you know how, how people are enjoying the combat and what is making people frustrated and if that is like you thought oh this would be a really fun dynamic thing that'll add like a little you know pillar that moves people up and down and then you realize oh well they don't really have anything to do now um that's it, it's it's not necessarily your own sort of fault for designing something badly because you have the chance to you know stop doing that that now oh you notice a button you know one of the people on the floor uh, go over and press it object interaction not even aware. then you see all the pillars start to lower to the ground but it adds a new element of surprise i don't know you this is, comes with learning to improvise but before we get into some of our own homebrew suggestions i think the simple tip is to try and just be more dynamic with the way combat goes change up introduce new enemies introduce different air enemy types yeah um all well, these things but this isn't often and, and yes that's so we're starting with this as a, a big tip if you think that just generally your fights need to be a little mm. bit you know less monster of the week more or if you see everyone's getting a little bit bored then how to get them how to get everyone maybe a little bit more excited <laughs> a little bit more scared out of it a couple um, stakes yeah up the stakes is one way to do it but then there's a, there's more of a mechanical problem mm. sometimes yes. as well one that you may have great maps, beautiful maps. You might have great monsters of the week, might all this dynamism stuff going mm. on. But you've got you've got players who take a long time mm. going around the table, and maybe you're a kind, big-hearted DM like me, and you just you're just patient with them, and you take a lot of time. Or maybe you're you know you the cold, all, like you give them like five minutes to tactically look at their own spell selection and choose. Or which maybe one you're cold-hearted then... like you and yes. force your players to finish their turn Move within ten quickly. seconds or else. Well, let's make discuss them force that. them into the dodge action. Let's discuss that. I think it's an interesting thing that you can play around with. You know, some every group will want to try out this rule differently, and that's the reason it's not sort of set in stone. I think it's more of a suggestion for a table rule more than it is a homebrew alteration of the mechanics. And the table rule being that everyone's turn you got one minute to figure out what you're doing and sure. that's i think the base standard right but you don't you don't really hold them to a hard one minute oh no well if, they, if they're faster great and if they start to go over then i start to put up the pressure like come on what are you doing yeah you know and like, i've seen I, i've seen you run your table and it's impressive uh my tables are a quarter of the speed and so for me combat does get draggy i've watched your table and it's not just use a dm all your players buy into this they all they all mm -hmm. like yeah. this format they all you guys talk very fast at the table you all know the dice you're rolling you move quickly through all of your pit your 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 actions bonus actions movement mm. and i think that's that's kind of key in this as well and you know there's something we often don't talk about in a session zero or even as the sessions evolve because you kind of learn these things along the way but trying to how you work with your players at the table so that they know all the stuff their character can do and that they're quick at doing it so you don't have to ask them or remind them what are you doing on this on your bonus action now what are you doing that your turn comes up you you move you attack you take an action of some sort you if you have a bonus action you do it and then you clearly and quickly say okay i'm done mm -hmm. so the dm can very nicely move on to the next person yeah in the line and the next person and knows that they're coming next as well that's also key putting listing the initiative order making sure everybody knows where they are in the initiative order sometimes i've had dms who write it all out for the players or i sit at tables where most or, of the players yeah. we yeah sometimes i've tried to build a tracker it didn't work so well but i'd like to make one that's got like cool little flags so we can sort of see the order um, but yeah, we should. Every player should try and make little notes if they can of the initiative order and where they sit in it, who comes before them, mm -hmm. who's going after them, and it helps in a little bit thinking. Okay, my turn's coming up. I, you know, and based on what's coming up, I need to make my choices. Yeah, I give some players like room to do calculations and roll dice, and some of my players have such builds where they roll way too many dice and read spell descriptions out loud or like have to sort of nitpick things and while that's happening when they're reading through things i give them time i don't be like all right whatever move on i i instead to to turn to the player who i know is next 
Um, and I go, all right, you're on deck. Start thinking about what you're doing on your turn. And they go, and then they sort of get into planning mode if they were previously unfocused or, you know, they are, it's just like a reminder and way to keep sort of things moving and flowing and people thinking about what's happening, right? Yeah. Especially if people start to lose, okay, well, what, when am I in the industry border? I try and make it visible. Sometimes it's not visible to everyone or yeah. sometimes you have to like kind of look or turn your head a little bit yeah or... some of the online vtt's mm. have got combat trackers that are able to see yeah uh, and that's gonna be quite helpful because it also often puts the monsters in that and things as well so you can sort of see where they are and that helps you strategize and come up with tactics and stuff as well uh and there is you know some alternate rules in the dm's guide for that say hey each round you could re-roll initiative order yeah i think that's a great way if you want to slow your game down I think it definitely makes planning a little bit harder and can make sometimes turns like your turn take way longer. Like yeah, let's if, if you were at the top of one round sure. and then the bottom of the following round, it could be ages between yeah. times you get to act at the table. And and I think that there is lies a real deep flaw because you're like, Oh God, I'm really bored now. I've it has truly been ten or twelve minutes since I've been able Everyone to do it. Everyone has essentially gone twice before you have done anything, yeah, right? Kind of sucks. And that is the brutal potential of re always re-rolling initiative. I think it's it's has potential. It, it could be interesting. I think I I would want almost something a little bit more crunchy, which I know is almost the antithesis of what we're saying. And what do we mean when we say crunch? Crunch is more complication. Um, usually more sophistication with that complication, though. It mm. adds gr more granularity and detail more to More tactical decision-making, right. more options, more... And, and if you're thinking about it in terms of peanut butter, right, there's the crunchy and then there's the smooth. And the opposite of crunch is something that is smooth and that goes by, like, spreads really quick and easy, right? There's nothing, there's no friction or bumps in it. Mm. And... But and, the thing that and everything's so finding simplified, that balance, right? right? Yeah. yeah, finding the smoothness of your game is really what we're asking. We're saying that is good to do here. Now, that doesn't mean like crunch can't get smoothed out. So the idea of crunch being bad, or even using that word as a metaphor for it, isn't always fantastic because sometimes if everybody at the table gets what the little new rule or new mechanic is, they can use it very quickly. Yeah, and then it's okay. It's frictionless. Mm -hmm. But if there's a lot of stopping and looking up the tables and rolling on another thing, like, okay, you hit. Now let's roll to find out where you hit. And you know what I mean? Like you start having to keep track of like damage to various particular body parts. And you know what I mean? Like there's ways that well, there's I've seen granularity digging into it. And, and, sure. and, and suddenly it takes, oh, it took me 10 minutes to calculate damage to a, a creature? Forget it. Like that's just. Sure. Yeah. That's a horrible well, it's cool on your turn when you're doing the crunch, and then you see everyone else doing it. You know, yeah. And a tip for DM, especially because the math of hit points can sometimes get a little bit super precise. And for my big boss monsters, I should still try and keep track of how many hit points they're sort of going. But, like, for minions, I typically have one hit and they're down yeah. for most high, like pretty decent parties. Or like if I know they're just weenies that are simply meant to distract or whatever, one hit, they're gone, right? Yeah. If they have 13 hit points and a player does 12 points of damage, I'm not going to keep them alive. Yeah. They're going to be dead. They have essentially hit slots, right? Yeah. When I... Or in a big, but the thing is you want to still reward players who get big crits and do bigger sure. damage output. And so for some enemies, I do like, you know, two hit slots and a big significant crit or a hit. Or I think, okay, if it does over 20 damage in one hit, this thing's dead. And yeah. the player goes, 21. How do you want to do this? They go, oh, yeah, I did a cool big hit. And I'm like, all right, whatever. This was easier than me thinking about 16 different twig blights. Why, you know, how you know many of their eight hit points that they have remaining, right? Like, it doesn't matter. Exactly. And I, I, I call this doing pre-crunch. I've been thinking a lot about expanding the amount that I use it. So it's not just minions. I've really been thinking a lot about taking it to, so like you could take it to and almost anything. I was just very quickly pulled up the old, you know, the new uh, Mordekin's bestiary here. So kind of my idea would be this, right? So say something's got 95 hit points, right? Sure. Let's call that 10 hits, right? That's okay. a lot more, but still, it's easier to keep track of 10 things than 95 things. Um, and I know with the digital stuff today, it doesn't really matter that much. But if I wanted to speed up this, you know, this combat a little bit, I would then be thinking, okay, this thing's kind of a big, It's a this is a sacred statue. So it's a big sort of, construct metal thing sure um it's got a ton of resistances to acid fire lightning bludgeoning piercing slashing from non-magical attacks so anybody who hits it with one of those things are only going to do one hit to it whereas if you 
you know, you hit it with something, your big magical warhammer, um, especially with a great weapon of some sort, I'd be like, two hits maybe? Maybe three hits. Well, I, I would do it not based on what the weapon is, but based on the damage output. Sure. Like, I know they're resistant to what you, you said, acid, right? Yeah. And so a player goes, I do my big acid splash. You see it's not very effective. Perhaps if they don't even do over 10 damage, I'm going to be like, no, you see it barely scratches them. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I was just thinking about just, just taking out that that bit where the player hits and then has to roll damage. No, I, I still I like just, that, I would just say though. hit, and then I can just do the, the, the description. Personally. And I then like I can that. keep track of it, and I can I can sort of decide at what point the the statue's dead. Um, I, I think players like to roll dice and sure. to hit, and there's an excitement in that. Yeah. Um, I think... In a lot of games, we just expect whenever we press the attack button just to roll damage. And I, I was just sort of playing through the game with a new player recently, and they have to almost conceptualize in their head that their attack can miss, right? That they don't just get to roll their damage dice and do damage to it, and that they just take down. Like, even I'll be like, oh, does a 24 hit? And they go, wow, 24 damage? That's, no, no, does a 24 hit your AC? And they go, oh, I see, yeah, no, it definitely does. And that's another weird thing that we often do is being like, does this ridiculously high number ever hit your AC? Yeah. So, hey, DMs, a little study tip. Learn your players' ACs. Well, sure. And the I know reason, it's, it's easy to forget, and you got right. a lot of numbers in your head. And sometimes... That's not even my argument Sometimes borderline ones. Like, I can't remember sometimes whether the the fighter's got an AC of 19 or 20. So if I, get a, if I roll a 19, I might ask them if the 19 mm-hmm. hits. Um, and they love to say no. Every player's like, nope, doesn't hurt me at all. Um, but most of the time, I should know sure. when I'm rolling stuff, miss, 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 or hit, hit, hit. Um, the exceptions on those might be players like wizards, particularly. People who maybe can cast shield or something. Yes, that's you, the reason that we sort of keep that in, is that a player might be like, oh, oh, uh, uh, I cast shield, right? Yeah. What I do in that scenario, because in my games, I also play with a little bit more crunch with a system called parrying where if you have a shield or certain types of weapons you can try and deflect incoming melee attacks um, which i have fun with and i think it's another reaction that everyone can have access to if you have the right equipment which is is unique and shield is of course kind of a little bit like that except you don't get sort of roll a die to see how things go it's kind of a bit like a magic missile of parrying where it's just guaranteed you know what you're doing here um and what i do instead of saying does a 21 hit you just like i wouldn't say um, you know, this, you know, poison thing, you have to make a DC 15 concept. Like, I wouldn't say the number, right? I would just describe it and tell them the save they need to make, right? And you might even go further than that. I would instead go, you see it swings towards you, and if you do nothing, this will impact, but it's close. Do you do it, right? And there's now no mental calculation of, oh, well, I know if I hit this button and expend my spell slot, then it will not hit me. And I just kind of have to take a risk, right? Will my shield protect me in this instance? Or you see it's a good hit, but there might be a chance that you could eke out of the way. Because, you know, mid-battle, like, just speaking from a meta perspective, and a wizard might, you know, whatever your character does, whatever they do. But imagine in a scenario where you're about to be hit by a big sword, your wizard is going to reactively shield. I mean, I know I would. Um, if, if I, I thought an attack would have any chance of hitting, even if it, if I know. Well, technically, it's one outside my AC range, so theoretically, this would be a waste of my resources, and therefore, I will not shield. Personally, I think that's a little metagamey um, for my own tastes. And I'm not saying that, because for a long time, I, I thought it was like, yeah, well, it's fine. You know, I don't want to waste a spell slot, you know, but now I'm, I'm a little bit more devious and go like, Waste you their know. spell slot. You know, it could hit. It could definitely hit, right? And you go, oh, well, should I use it? Should I not use it? And then you don't make a decision, make a decision. If they don't make a decision, it hits you. You're right? taking the dodge action. Well, this is not even their turn, right? I know. But, um, you know, I'm just saying. Um, mm. The, yeah, the, whether or not you let your your players know the numbers in metagame is, again, it comes back a little bit to the, the same with this idea of them not rolling damage and doing hits to it that you determine based upon a few sort of, again, meta factors that you as a DM in your head. Now, a lot of this, if you're going to do this sort of approach to it, requires that the players trust the DM to be fair. Mm-hmm. These numbers and stuff in the game exist in, for scenarios that I had a lot when we were, I was a kid, where we had a much more adversarial approach to Dungeons & Dragons, where the the DM was really was out to kill you. Um and it was up to you to try and not get killed. And 
our fights and things were also like we didn't never had initiative orders properly we'd people would take turns and then say another thing they wanted to do another thing and whoever the loudest person at the table was typically winning and we had just some of the most riotous unruly really badly run tables um we didn't have a lot of good examples we certainly didn't have any critical role type tables we didn't have a lot of examples of of how to do things well um and and yeah if you don't trust the dm then yeah you want to see roles made in the open you want to sort of have everything like you know there was a lot of there was a lot of accountancy having to happen in order to for everybody felt like to make the game feel fair and the dms were still then you know always had the ability to put their finger on the scales because they can always change the monsters however they want to right so um the dm can always win if they want to they have all the power to do so but is that really what you're doing here i mean we're in fifth edition now we're collaboratively storytelling hmm. and the combat is a collaborative storytelling option it's a chance for players to shine and have some fun at the table and it's a it's a key place where the dice tell the story yeah and we're all like that roll of the dice and see what happens maybe we get lucky maybe we don't mm -hmm. maybe it hits us maybe it misses sure you know this sacred statue i'm looking at here if it's slam attack which is a plus eight to hit lands that's 50 43 hit points of damage to you or i could roll 60 12 plus four but again in interest of time dms if the stat block if if the stat block gives you a average damage just give the average damage and move on mm. yeah i mean the the part where that starts to become obvious is when players always know they take 43 damage from a hit and they go oh well the slam attack is 43 currently i'm at 47 yeah i can stand here for one more turn and it's like come on let's I want them to know the chance that they could, something could go bad, right? And so in the scenario where you don't want to roll 60-12, I think sometimes for effect you should. The first time the slam attack happens, you should roll the 60-12. And players, that's too many dice. You can't have that well, many dice. And actually, as a DM, you don't get to roll d12s very often. So something that says to me, hey, roll 60-12. Well, you ask every player, can I have one of your d12s? You know, <laughs> Uh, they get scared. They don't want to be hit by this. Oh, I don't, have, I don't have enough D12s with me today. And then going forwards, what I typically do is I'd roll... I'd look at the average. I roll... I, I think, okay, do I want this to be lesser hit or a bigger hit? Um, sometimes I'll even like quickly sort of do maybe a, a roll or a flip or whatever in my head that would... Turn, okay, and then I roll a D6, subtract it, or minus it, or add it, or whatever. Something that gives a little bit of variation. It could be a weaker hit. Oh, this time it only does 30 points of damage. <sighs> okay, we got lucky there. Or, you know, it does a huge big hit. And, and again, this is being a little bit respectful of... of kind For of sure. cheating the dice, but I mean, you, you don't could... want your players to know that you're doing this, right? I mean, this is not like a secret or like do this because you want to try and win you do this because you want to try and tell a more you know interesting fulfilling whatever story right and well, you, you want could, the baddie to maybe survive very, a couple more rounds or yeah. you want them to maybe go down, you wanna, down faster if right they, if they hit if they roll a really big hit with it roll with um it. that yeah maybe you use more towards the top end of the damage they would do there's ways you can do this sure. that allows you at the table to as a dm take what the dice are doing mm and then you build on it it's a yes and game with the dice as well right so the dice say this has happened and you go okay so the dice are saying to do this so let's do this and then you just and you kind of you make that sort of situation up of what happens next the monster did really well player did really well whatever i mean the dice are saying whatever it is so you you lean into that um that i think again when you're when combat's looking a little bit boring how you decide as a dm to to help describe what's going on so we're not just math probleming probleming math problem solving mm -hmm. that we're actually as the dice get rolled we're telling a story yeah i would still encourage you though to sometimes as a dm let go of your big monster and just give the players their crazy big numbers right yeah sometimes that's the most rewarding thing is having a big boss or something that you thought should be this grueling fight and then your players are super creative and manage to dispatch it very quickly and you kind of go i can make this more narratively dramatic and you know tensions high or sometimes you just go nope you steamrolled this, and I'm okay with that, Yeah. right? And it, it's not about fudging the numbers just to, to make everything more difficult than it needs to be because if players are being smart and they're using their abilities and they're doing high damage and they're burning their resources, then they should be doing well in a combat, I, I, I feel, right? I mean, yeah. that's kind of a 
part of the game, right? Like, as a player, if every single fight is, like, tooth and nail, things can also start to be a little like, God, I wish we could just have a win, you know? Can we mm. not Can we not just beat anything? <laughs> Why does everything live one more hit than I think it should, you know? <laughs> um, and this is, of course, all to say that there's many different perspectives and scenarios to running these things, and it's about sort of finding where you lie along the spectrum, yeah. right? You could be very into, you know, making every combat narratively fulfilling, or especially if you've had a row of steam rolls, maybe you start to introduce, okay, well, maybe I want to make this enemy a little bit harder, put them in their place, show them that there are tougher enemies that they're up against, right? Yeah. Now that they're in this echelon of adventure. Um, and that's sort of the difficulty scaling that you see with any, the struggle with any video game design or any game design really, is that the more powerful you get, the more difficult you need to face monsters, right? And CR does people no favors in this no. um, whatsoever. Um, uh, well, even as a DM, the more you play D&D, the more you recognize that different parties, CR means different things to different parties. Uh, how good they are as players, how experienced of, of they are at D&D, how much min-max they've created their characters. There's a lot of things that go into whether that that supposed challenge rating is accurately balanced against the players. And and we've talked about this in the past. You probably, if you play with like some good players over time, you, you'll learn very quickly to, to boost your, your baddies. Um, and this thing goes the other way around, where maybe you need to nerf your baddies on the fly. I mean, this I've, is a I've scenario I've done that as well, where, where not reading the room can result in a TPK, right? Like, you could be having a TPK, a terribly, but what if, the, or, what if we haven't read the table and everybody's sure. looking really bored? And I'm okay, like, sure. oh, wow, I planned this this thing, but it's it's taking a long time. And it's not as interesting as I thought it would be. Yeah. What if we just, like, give the players a sudden second wind and we can just finish things off, right? Yeah. Or, or like, okay, well, technically these goblins still have another 58 points because you've been missing their AC every time. Let me, in this instance, flavor reason, something, any player success or any sort of story beat, you can see all the goblins are suddenly distracted. For this entire round, everyone has advantage. An ally comes swooping in or something, you know, like this fight is getting tedious and, you know, maybe the, the time's running out and like, there's that pressure there and you try and make it feel a little interesting or give players an yeah. upper hand in yeah. a fight that they're losing and suddenly they feel like i mean my favorite fights in the game are ones where the first couple turns my players are like oh my god we're all gonna die yeah and then turn four they're like oh my god we're fine we've turned the tables why were we afraid um, um or they feel that like they were down for a bit and then suddenly they the chip couple of yeah they kind of some couple of good rolls and things are moving well for them hmm. yeah and we want that feeling to happen and so yeah you don't want to rush things too much because you'll miss out on those but at the same time, yeah, you got to be careful when it's starting to drag and when to find ways to, yeah, change it up. Also, uh, you know, depending on how you're playing and things as well, your bad guys don't always have to kill everybody. Oh, no, of course not. I mean, we've talked about conflict interests in the ideas of making combat spicing up combat by giving, you know, enemies different incentives and players different incentives than just kill the other side, right? Yeah. Um, and that also mm -hmm. can change up a battle very quickly. If somebody on the other side shows mercy, spares a player. Yeah, what do they or do? Or you they... try to engage, instead of just pure combat, they start trying to talk to your players. Hmm. You can, in, a, in an instant as a DM, you can start to steer the ship out of combat, uh, out of initiative, and into an RP situation. Of course. And... And yeah, this is about reading the table. It's really about trying to know if people are looking like this is this is just going on for too long, um, or yeah, maybe also in those situations, if somebody has died, you've got to recognize that there's there's some there's some emotion at the table right now, and I need to find a way to let the players deal with that. Um, and yeah, just sitting here and rolling math problems for another hour isn't helping. Isn't where everyone's at right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can see that again. It, it's a learning to sort of read your players um, or even ask them sometimes if, if it can get a little bit too heavy or if everyone's definitely feeling like, all right, you can even address meta wise, like I'm, I'm getting a little tired. I don't know how everyone else is feeling. Um, and it kind of addressed that. And some people might break it might break their immersion if they're still into it. But if everyone is looking bored out of their minds, I'm sure they will appreciate you recognizing that and shifting gears, right? Um, I don't know. That's another interesting 
potential approach or suggestion. What are some other things that we could do to alter the mechanics of the game? Because we talked about this a little bit, like theoretical alterations, the way that the game runs to maybe make things a little bit more interesting um, or engaging or keep things spicy and active throughout. Um, I had a couple ideas, and I think some of these are maybe a little more video gamey or maybe you need playtesting. They're not maybe all the way thought through. Making reactions more of a ga- like more of a thing, right? Yeah. Because right now everyone has one reaction per turn, and it's a way of giving people the ability to act outside of their turn. And there's then a reason to keep focused, right? Thinking yeah. of opportunities. Oh, oh, can I opportunity attack? I love when a player says that because they're paying attention, right? If if a creature moves away and it's like, oh, a player way too late, like after their enemy ends, like, oh, could I have opportunity attack them? Yeah, but you didn't. Yeah, and it's like, oh, you know. It's about as a good DM. I often, right? especially with newer players, I'm often like, "Oh, there's oh, a way you can make it, right? you can make an opportunity." We well, remind them, sure. But yeah, I, I think you know sometimes you do want to get to a point with a table where, as a DM, you move, you you say, "Okay, the baddie moves away. I take one step with him on the ma- the map, move the mini one space, pause for two seconds. Mm. If the player that is standing right there is zoned out and doesn't say, I make an opportunity attack,' I keep moving." Mm um yeah okay but here's an idea with your okay i'll let you get into reactions a lot more in a second but here's an idea as well with the idea of using reactions for more things and this also helps i think the new newer players at a table so say i am pushing for speed and as a dm i'm not going to be asking you every single time okay have you done all your things are you done now okay i'm moving on i'm just going to call the next player's turn like you know okay we're moving on jack it's your turn let's what are you doing and if the previous player at that point is like, oh, crap, I forgot I wanted to do X. I would say at the end of anybody else's turn, you can burn your reaction to do something you forgot on your turn. That's interesting. And it allows them then to sort of feel like, yeah, okay, I still got my turn. I burnt my reaction. It means there's a few bunch of other things I may not be able to do now. But it also feels like, okay, I didn't totally screw up my round because my turns are precious. And as a player, we all forget things. Mm. I forget things all the time. I'm old. And, and I would, I, I'd like a, I'd like a, oh, I just want a chance to just do this other thing. Okay. Well, you can use your reaction. Do yeah. it on, at the end of somebody else's turn. Mm, sure. What if like, I, I guess th- to this idea, what if there's the scenario where it's now, I mean, it's not just like a forget thing. It's like, oh, I could only do this rules wise if this was the reaction ability. Right. I think making that a part of the rules, like generally, as a reaction, at the end of someone, like an end of another ally's turn, let's say. Yeah, allies seem a good way to do it. You can use your reaction to take any bonus action, any action. Like, do you get your, I mean, I, the one rule I would put by stipulation there, no, at no action you took on your current turn or however you'd want to rule that, right? Because I could see then someone making some, you know, f- whatever fighter build that is like okay make two attacks i action surge make two more attacks my bonus action i can make one more attack with two weapon fighting and my reaction i make two more attacks with my because i will i forgot to do and it's like okay calm down yeah you're right i mean this there is situations where this could be this could be gamed um i'm well, trying to I provide think it i'm trying to provide it as I mean, a yeah make I'm, that a part of the game make it not just a forgetful thing yeah it's useful there too when you forgot to do something you can on your turn, you know, if you like, oh, I didn't take my blank. On if you're so you could even write it down like this. If on your turn you didn't take an action or you didn't take a bonus action, you can use your reaction at the end of an ally's turn to take that bonus action. Sure. Right? Typically we call that in advance. We you know, you're you're holding this action. That's something that's already in the rules. We're just suggesting you expand that a little bit more so that you didn't You have don't to need to call it in advance. And there I already see now that there's a million ways that this is abused or isn't balanced or yeah. favors certain play styles or there's whatever, a reason the right? rule and set you learn how to tweak it. Yeah, the, the reason the rules currently call you for you to specify a trigger yeah. for a particular action you do. But D&D boards are dynamic and weird and sometimes, yeah, I don't know. If you want to just let players have a bit more loosey-goosey fun mm. with it, by just saying, okay, well, I'm, I won't use my action. I'll use a reaction at the end of somebody else's turn. Um, fine. Great. Uh, I don't think that's going to break the game terribly. Mm. Um, it might put my monsters at a slight disadvantage. Or maybe my monsters get to do that same thing too. Yeah. I, I think that's actually an interesting idea. And, and in- I don't have to reroll initiative mm. now, but we can now move ourselves to take our action immediately after a friend. Sure. 
which changes our initiative order slightly into possibly more advantageous order. Right. That we, and that's maybe not terrible. But the idea is we organize this to not let players do more than they already could have done, right? No. I think if you want to, like, if there's a gold standard with, you know, whatever balancing is, is kind of matching what already exists, right? Sure. Like, you look at what exists, and, okay, don't let people take extra actions than they normally could have already done unless you're familiar and want to try that out, if that's your intention, right? Sure. Um, I think that would be one suggestion if you're trying to add home rules and, like, not quite sure maybe if it's balanced or I think that's one thing you look for and of course it won't be balanced and so you play test it and then you refine it and that's that's sort of the way it goes I'm suggesting another thing you can do with reactions add more things you can do with your reactions maybe give everyone you know if you want to make it even more I, I had this thing called heroic combat in my own sort of games um, where you couldn't attack twice like take the attack action twice but you could do attack and something else right and then encourages a mix-up of attack or fighters or marshals or whatever that would always use their action to cast or to um, take the attack action and swing with their one weapon. And spellcasters who would always, especially warlocks or, you know, whatever, who would always use their action to cast Firebolt or cast Eldritch Blast or cast whatever, right? And suddenly it becomes a repetition of, okay, I'm doing the same thing every sure. turn because there is and no that, room for me to do anything else. And that becomes a bit boring, right? And it does, that is what becomes boring. And so my thought process behind introducing this heroic combat, right, which I, which I did mid-campaign, and you should always talk to your players before, what the new rules are and kind of establish them before you do it but it doesn't need to be at the start of a campaign or start yeah, of whatever you can change things on the fly happen well after session 100%. and it's nice if they can happen session zero and establish that session zero but if they don't that's okay it's yeah. not the way it's not the end of the well, world you, might, mean try, you, can't you use might try and put things that you came up with with one party in with another party and in they the don't next campaign and they aren't going to work at all because that the, those that players group works differently dynamic is different so. sure 100 percent but that then started to cause players to think, oh, well, okay, I'll dash and then attack, or I'll attack and then also dodge. Or they start thinking a little bit more tactically about what they do with their extra little non-damaging option on their turn, right? To try and, you know, well, I'll disengage and back up a little bit, or I'll attack and then ready to, you know, whatever other action, ready to pull this lever or whatever it might be. Sure. Right? Um, well, and and, thinking and as a DM, it gives you more things you can put on a map as well, like give them things to interact with so yeah. they feel like they're not having to give up a, a round of attacking because everybody likes dealing damage sure. um I, I know players who specifically say that you know it's a big stress relief for them to come and kill monsters in the in an evening yeah. and i'm like all right well let, let's make that possible yeah, for you i think um, also for me a rule i play with is getting rid of the one leveled spell per turn because it <laughs> disencourages bonus action spells unnecessarily i mean i get maybe why you'd want to do that or like for specifically quicken casters or whatever sure. that could cast two big fireballs and you're like that's way too broken well, i don't know is it really that broken and, and this idea of us being able to move an action to our reaction space would allow you to actually be casting that that second spell on somebody else's well, turn uh, well, technically sure that's the way it go currently goes tip for any person out there who's loves their bonus action spells and always gets annoyed where they want to drop a um let's say they want to drop a sanctuary and then also cast healing word. cure wounds or whatever right or even better example they want to cast their big spirit guardians and then do a healing word you can't a rule is written because you can't do more than one level spell per turn which is so annoying yeah. I, i'm always tripped up and annoyed by it um in my games, I allow any number of leveled spells in one turn. If you want to burn all your spell slots in one turn, go for it. That, Be my guess. There's and this is the this is the interesting thing as you sort of learn the games. The game's got all sorts of checks and balances built into it already. Mm -hmm. Spellcasting resources are finite. Um, heck, if you really want to get finite about it, you make sure they're using material components that they're burning through when they do this. Well, as they well. have or they have their. I I know. I'm just saying. Focus. There's exactly, but you could get away from the arcane focuses. You could really make it so you're like, yeah, okay. You on one turn, you can expend as much of your resources as you want, but you've only got a finite amount of them. Most players, when they start to recognize that they don't have, you know, infinite supplies of stuff, become very careful how they decide to use them. Mm -hmm. So, so you but don't the have option to, not to go crazy yeah. and burn it all at once. But, I think that option should be there. Sometimes, sometimes in a in it would make sense tactically. Sometimes in a fight, if you can unload two spells right at the very beginning, I don't see why not. It's going to help the party immensely. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of I've kind of come around that way as well. I can see why. I, if you let people cast two spells on a turn, suddenly like time stop doesn't become as valuable. It's a dumb spell anyways for a ninth level spell, but the whole point of that spell is like, 
let me cast like a whole bunch of spells on myself in one turn. Well, you can't do that anyways because you don't have a million actions like Time Stop gives you, yeah. right? I mean, the whole idea is is that, you know, in in the past, I don't know, you couldn't exert that much magical energy in one turn. Why not? Well, Why can't welcome I? Welcome to my campaign setting where, yes, you can. I don't understand. If you are playing in a, in a game, this is not saying that a game that does this is wrong. It's just a game that I, I think personally I'm I'm – that rule to me feels sometimes limiting and sometimes I can see the reason for it. But I would suggest to you, if you are a person with bonus action spells, use your bonus action to cast that spell and then use your action to ready the other spell. Now, there are a couple downsides to doing this. Yeah, and this actually, this is rules as written. This is rules as written to get around This is it. legit. You can do this well, yeah, in an Adventures League table if you want. With the ready action, you ready casting a certain spell. Now, that spell, I believe, does have to have a casting time of one action. So it can't be a one-minute thing that you yeah, prepare and not. start doing, obviously. Or a bonus action thing you prepare and what You can't do that, right? Um, you need to be able to provide the components, obviously, yeah. when you're readying it. But that shouldn't be an issue if you're going to cast it anyways. A couple things as well. It requires your concentration to ready it until it's released. It does. So you can't also be contrasting, concentrating on something else and then ready a different spell. And if you get hit while you're before you actually it gets triggered, you have it, to you make, could concentration make a concentration check. check and perhaps lose it. Um, another th- other you know potential risk to it is if it comes back to the top of your round and you forgot to trigger it, yep. or just the scenario didn't come up, you've lost it. You've burnt sure. it. You've burnt the spell slot when you're ready. Some it. DMs are friendly and like no no. But you rules is written. It. You've lost it. You've I spent know. the resources and nothing happened. Some some DMs are okay about you like not burning it. But again, I, I sort of start thinking, well the more that the more flexibility we give them in when they cast a spell and how many times mm-hmm. they do it, yeah. Then you start to have to I think put in these other checks and balances to sort of and I think if, if a player is getting to a point where they're starting to consider how do I do stuff outside of my turn um they're already reaching a level of sophistication where they're they should be able to handle the concept of if it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out there's a risk that you're going to burn a slot and get nothing for it i mean heck every spell's like a chance of burning a slot and getting nothing for it frankly there's always a risk with magic anyways so yeah most players they probably be okay once they know the risk to take that on and go yep yeah, okay i'm gonna try and make this happen and most of the time they will and then when the times it doesn't work out they'll be like okay well i knew that was always knew that was a possibility so mm. that's fine and this is sort of addressing for spellcasters how to add a couple more options and variety but for marshals i think especially the the idea of doing having a varied thing you do in in combat becomes especially like increasingly more challenging yeah. as you find yourself repeating the attack action all right i make two attacks Longsword, first attack, oh, it hits. Second one doesn't hit. All right, roll for damage, 1d10. I have my dex modifier or strength modifier, plus three, whatever. All right, seven damage. Okay, and Next person's turn. Can we Can we just also, why don't we roll damage dice when we roll to hit? Because what if I miss? What was the point of rolling damage? You just put them all in one big clump why? and just dump them in your tray. I wanna, what if I roll separately? Because that, that just... What if took, I roll a crit on one of them? Because we're trying to... Sp- we're trying to get the smooth things out. We're trying to reduce friction. I don't think it's at most another five to it's, ten seconds. It doesn't really matter. But around the table, that's a whole minute. Mm-hmm. That's two minutes probably or know. more. I, if you Does that don't... hit and then we roll the damage, there's just like, oh, it can all happen at once. It could happen all at once. I don't think it has to. I roll them all at once. It, it that's your my, choice. It speeds my, I'm a better player because of it. I don't know. There's a lot of complex be- things that sometimes you only get damage if certain things happen. And I think that you can miss that if you need if you roll them separately. I like I like trying to be the, I like trying to be the fastest player at the table. That's not always the good thing. Sometimes you miss things or sometimes you get things wrong if you go too fast. No, nope. but I, I nope. I, you're always you're I'm, always the best I'm, player for the fastest. <laughs> right, sure. Right. Um yeah, I mean, another thing for, for marshals is trying to add different ways to attack, right? And obviously, there's class options you can take to make your attack action a little bit different, like a, a barbarian choosing to do a relentless attack, or a rogue, you know, specifically setting up a hide so that they can get a sneak attack off, or a battle master with their tripping attack, or their pushing attack, or their sweeping, or their whatever, right? And suddenly, you're now taking more dynamic options, but these are, of course, also perhaps burning limited resources in the case of Battlemaster. I guess the other two, not so much. Um, and it's like, oh, well, I can't always do these cool, interesting, unique, different things. And maybe that's okay. Again, that's the way the game is designed. What if you bake into the rules that you can attack in different ways or that, you know, different weapons have different 
effects that can happen if you do a big attack. And this again is another layer of crunch and it perhaps just a, something to give you food for thought. Um, yeah. it, the possibility here in my own games, I run a more risky signature attack that they can do with their martial weapon. Absolutely. Um, that does a little bit more damage, but if they miss, it opens them up to a free crit on the next enemy's turn um, if they get hit. Um, which of course is like, all right, you can make yourself very vulnerable yeah. to you know, getting punished for trying to do something unique and cool, but it gives you something else than just your regular attack. And then, of course, you'll see players fall into the habit of, you know, at least there's one more decision than just hitting the attack button. It is, do I hit the signature attack button or yeah. the regular attack button? I'm, um, I'm thinking of a Spelljammer campaign for later this year um, that has a sort of a stress dice or panic dice uh, sure. component built into it that would let players you know, decide in various stressful situations to add extra sort of almost like adrenaline type dice to their rolls, but in mm -hmm. the, with the possibility of, you know, ever increasing panic attacks, levels of like, you know, think bad things happening to them. Um, if those dice, you know, roll high. And so again, this is a way we're adding crunch, extra crunch into, um, and it worries me a little when I'm thinking, and I, and maybe, Maybe your table, again, you guys play really fast, so it was okay to keep adding crunch in because you were taking, t like, wasted time out by improving the efficiency of everybody at the table. Um, I'm always a little worried about adding something extra dice like this in because I'm like, eh, I'm adding more things that's going to slow things down more. So it really is about if you are going to add in, you know, special attacks for martial classes to vary them up or stress dice for people to roll, things like that, that you've got you've got some way to balance that with efficiency at the table, mm. um, helping make sure that everyone, when they know these things exist, that they can do them quick and they can do them sort of seamlessly in it. So there's in a lot of like, which size dice do I need? Which ones do I roll? Where's that button on my character sheet? You know, like it can't be, you know, you need to, you need to get rid of those sorts of, those sort of hangups are the ones that really kill the game. Yeah, they can really slow things down, especially I, I know for big complicated spellcasters that drop a big summon or a big thing that changes the way that area looks sure. or a big area of effect that, you know, restrains creatures and each creature needs to make a save and repeats their save on the start of their turn yeah. or the end of their turn or whatever. And it's suddenly is, you know, more enemies are having to roll dice, especially big mobs. Yeah. Things can slow down as well, which is why both ways I'd recommend simplifying that crunch a little bit. There's some parts where... I mean, in this whole discussion, we've sort of seen it where it's either about speeding up sort of the efficiency of combat or introducing more variation, which can slow down combat. And there's this weird sort of dynamic of trying not to make things too simple and repetitive, but also trying to not make things take forever. Yeah. Um, and it, it is the balance that I think is is perhaps most can, can create fun or unique challenges when you can change the balance in each different combat scenario you know maybe some combats are more you know give players this unique access to technology or a magical device that's implanted within the environment and that requires much more thought process or whatever right um the idea is is you want to try and mix things up from time to time um keep players on their toes i think is the, sort of the final message yeah that that is a good final message and maybe we'll sort of end uh sort of on on that a little bit today and we'll just do a quick recap then mm. of uh of some of our our sort of key takeaways for today uh first one we were saying you know sometimes combat is getting boring because you're just doing the same sort of thing look at chase combat chase scenarios look at how adding you, a dynamic you yeah. know switching up the play field exactly layer actions there's all sorts of different ways you can hmm. do things that spice up the board a little bit make sure you vary your monsters but you know you're probably kind of doing these things anyways we were also sort of the player side of that as well you were saying how sometimes player actions kind of do feel boring because you get to have to do the same thing each time and you suggested coming up with some different ways for martial people to have like special thing special attacks or for spellcasters be able mm. to cast out of their turn a little bit or more multiple on their turn and these things can all make you know add a new dynamism 
to your table for sure. Yeah, I mean, the other side of the coin as well is to increase efficiency and remove some of the complexity, right? Yeah. Sometimes there are systems that maybe your players are vibing with and they need to be quickened, right? They, yeah. they slow things down, everyone gets a little bit bored. Maybe one player has this super complex homebrew, whatever, and you have to maybe approach them and go, all right, is there a way that we could get a little bit faster at this? Maybe the random tables are, you know, we can we can roll at them and be a little bit quicker about it, right? Um, not to say to just say no or get rid of it entirely, but to understand that sometimes like way too much dynamics can make it so that there's never really a consistency and so it's about finding you know a balance somewhere in between yeah. of finding efficiency and speeding up and knowing when to make things a little bit more you know diverse and you know tactical and complicated and it's this mix between soft shell and hard shell <laughs> taco uh, somewhere in between you know a little bit of crunch you know a little bit of, of time to sort of chew and think about it but also that everyone's getting a taste of the action yeah for sure uh and yeah sometimes just making making monsters so they're easier for you as a dm to track simplifying how many hits they're going to take in your mind if you think that the players live at a really great pile of stuff there you may they can you melt add extra hits to it or whatever there's a ways that you as a dm without fudging the combat can just greatly simplify it in terms of your own head and tracking keeping it going and just keep moving people along. You also had a good point earlier about saying, oh, who's on deck? Who's up next? That's a great tip for making sure people know that their turn's coming up. We talked about publishing initiative trackers, make sure everybody knows you know, the turn order, where they are in it. Um, all of that stuff can be great. Yeah, giving choices out of out of combat as well, like you know, quick ethical decisions or what does your character think about this? And of course, you don't want to make it where a character then stews and, hmm, I wonder what I think. Just be quick about it, right? Yeah. Introduce unique things but don't make it the don't make it the next like half hour right but also uh, and that we didn't mention this but it's something on my list of things that also if you've if you've got players who in the middle of combat want to describe narratively how they're doing things oh, or yeah. if you want the, if they want a role player they want to say something to each other or to another character encourage that yes there is always time for that yes because that's not boring we're not no. saying that combat has to be fast we're just saying combat shouldn't just be a repetitive math problem every yeah. time. That it should f have more fun and flavor and story in it. The dice are telling a big story. Whether we want that. We're looking yeah. for that. It doesn't have to be that way. but The dice are a big part of the storyteller during combat, more so almost than any other time. More so the skill checks are slower or fewer or far between. Every round on this, people are rolling dice. So there's a lot of random happening. Um, and you got to lean into that. You got to go with the dice, the way the story's going with that. Um, but just, yeah, simplify how many, get rid of extra rolls and things that don't have to happen. Yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully, you found some of this useful, insightful, and that you can maybe bring it into your own game. Yeah. All right. Bye bye.